What in your life has made you feel safe? What makes you feel understood? Has it been something or someone that you keep going back to because it's safe? Or are you confusing safety with familiarity? Let's call my first love, my first, let's call him my soulmate. Let's call his best friend, the next one, my safety. And a lot happened in four years of my life that were really life-changing and to the point of um, debilitating. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about gets all sorts of mixed up in my brain for probably a lot of reasons. You know, um, it's been a long time. Uh, Your memory isn't always accurate. You know, you remember things the way that you remembered them last time, maybe not exactly the way that they happened. And um, my timeline is so messed up because I I was doing a lot of drugs and drinking. And, um, you know, that, that <laughs> doesn't help me remember a lot of things either. And um, there's also the the fact that a lot of it has been repressed for a really long time and it's just now starting to come out. It's been there. Don't get me wrong. I've had these flashes. I've had these memories. I've had these things deep inside me, but they're just now surfacing and bubbling to the point where like, I have to get them out. So here I am dating safety while soulmate is away and has been away this time for a really long time and um safety and I we you know we were friends with the same friends we ran with the same crowd we had a lot of fun together um he was really good to me then put notes in my locker, um, you know, stood up for me to when people would make fun of my outfits or, um, you know, call my face ugly or something like that that had happened with the same friends in the past. We would skip school a lot and go to this church playground and uh, smoke weed and cigarettes and hang out. He would go to my car and smoke cigarettes uh, during school. I gave him my keys. I would sneak out of the house to go see him. He would sneak out of his window. Um, we, we shared a lot of experiences. We would go on adventures looking for um, old folklore in Uh, the area where we lived, like uh, looking for something called Moody's Light, this old man without a head, and he would carry around a light at night looking for his head in the woods, and 
um, other places where there was a stop sign next to an old barn where uh, someone used to torture people and there was supposedly a girl in a tree um, if you flash your lights three times or something like that you know the old um, stories and myths that surrounded the countryside that we grew up in and I'm sure everyone every place has those urban legends and uh, you know we sought them out together us and other friends mainly the one friend that we lived with pretty much in his basement <laughs> Um, our best friend. And one time <laughs> he was snake sitting for his neighbors. His neighbors had a lot of exotic snakes. I guess they, they were in a business or something and, and I like snakes and things like that. And he was like, oh, come help me feed the snakes after school. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. And uh, so we go over there and, you know, we're feeding snakes. There's, they're in the basement and there's this big glass case and there's boas and they have babies. And then there's, you know, all your um, other snakes and stuff. And then there's a Rubbermaid shelf that has drawers that you pull out and with just one snake in each drawer that had a lid and holes for it to breathe. He's like, and this is the most poisonous snake in Africa or something like that. And pulls it out and the box is empty. And all of a sudden we're looking around, looking at the ground like, oh shit, like, where is this snake? Um, we looked all over the basement, all over everywhere. You know, finally, after tiptoeing around very, very, very carefully, we find this snake hidden in the back corner of the snake room in the basement. And we have to coax it back into its little Rubbermaid box <laughs> with a stick. And, you know, that's something that we'll both always remember and do remember and um, things like that. You know, we had, we had a lot of fun together. We had a lot of memories together. And we um, continued to have those um, for a long time. And he felt like my safety. He felt like part of my soulmate because he knew him so well. And he felt like he was also my soulmate in a way. I was supposed to be with him if I couldn't be with the other. 9-11 happened when I was 17. I remember... My mom calling me on the phone, telling me to turn on the TV while I was in bed and um, seeing what was happening and wondering, you know, if it was real, um, if I was supposed to go to school, what was going on. Um, ended up going to school. We had school that day. And of course, we just watched the TV all day. Um, and... So being 17, uh, almost 18 at that time, right after that happened, the cafeteria was filled with recruiters. You couldn't walk without running into a, some sort of recruitment table for the military 
um, you know, Marines, Air Force, whatever. And so a lot of my friends weren't, went away, you know, they, they signed up to go to war. They were 18. They, I was young for my class and, um, you know, um, so most of my friends were already 18 and, uh, they left and my safety, he was 17 at the time too. Uh, but his mom had, um, her own things going on, recovering from a lot and had a small child and a husband that didn't really want her troublemaker son around and so um, she was influenced by the safety and her um, new husband to sign off to let him go at the age of 17 instead of 18. He wanted to go Um, so he did And so then I was um, alone again. I had my friends, our group of friends that were really close. There was, I think I've counted uh, about 11 of us, you know, the two that I've talked about and then some others. And um, another one went off. Um, also, he uh, did not come home, and so it was really hard. It was really hard to see all these people just leave and not really understand what they were doing and getting themselves into and the gravity of the situation and then being so young, you know, not understanding the politics of it all, but just being manipulated um, into thinking you're, you're doing something good. And uh, it, it didn't ever settle well with me. I never... I never felt good about any of the situation. It, it just felt off, all of it. Everyone that left, I regretted it for them. And just hoped that, um, you know, they would come back. In a way, I think them leaving made things a lot worse with um, my friend group if they were my friends looking back now I wonder um, because of a lot of things that happened we got into a lot of uh, dealing drugs taking drugs um, a lot of things that you know, I'm not proud of parties, anonymous, um, and random, 
um, sexual activities. Um, you know, I think, I think we just kind of went off the deep end, um, with everything that was going on with, uh, all of our friends and the world. And we went off the deep end together. And, um, I'll get into more detail later, but, uh, some of us, uh, came back and some of us didn't. And in the meantime, while still hanging out with my friends, you know, doing the drugs and parties and everything, I was at the park in my neighborhood again and met a, um, another person, an older person than me. He was 19 at the time. I think I was 16. So, um, he could buy me cigarettes and he drove a purple car, which I wasn't sure was cool or not, (laughs) but I liked it and, um, picked me up in it and we drove around and then that happened. We, um, were a thing. And, um, so I had him, he had his own apartment, got into some trouble there. And then I had my friend group who was sliding off the deep end and getting into their own trouble and taking all of us with each other, really. We were all going off the deep end. And let's call the guy with the purple car my dark angel. <laughs>